In this episode, Jeannie de Guzman, CFO at 1Password, describes her approach to managing a remote-first finance team, emphasises why business partnering is such a critical skill, and explains why finance is an increasingly technology-driven discipline. Hi, I'm Ross, and this is the CFO Playbook, where each week you'll get insights from world-class financial leaders to help you grow your company, yourself, and face the challenges required of today's CFO. Jeannie, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. I'm really excited to be here. I've listened to the podcast. I've listened to some of my colleagues actually from Canada, which was really cool to see. So I'm really, I'm really excited to be here. And it's great to have you. We've actually had an array of finance leaders, CFOs from all across the world. And of course, many from North America and some incredible companies. So it's great to have another person from Canada representing, which is fantastic. And I'd love to start off actually with that and the fact that, of course, now you're CFO. Before that, you led not just finance, but HR, which is kind of pointing to a trend that we see more and more, which is there was a time when a finance leader was focused on reporting and certainty in the bookkeeping. But actually now that role has evolved into an advisor, a strategic advisor, and often with responsibilities that go far beyond historical finance. Is that something that you have seen or see in your current role, um, where you're actually having to do far more than what would have been traditionally expected from a finance? leader. I think it's a trend that's happening amongst the finance leaders as we speak today. I've been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to do more than finance in many of my last roles. At 1Password in particular, I kind of came in when the company was about 180 people. Today, we're 520-something people. And so in a very short period of time, we grew so much. And it's one of those things that when you start off as a smaller company, you kind of have to wear multiple hats. I think it's one of the beauties of being at a small company is you get to do more than just your one thing that you might be doing at at a larger company. And so at 1Password, I've been really fortunate to be able to lead the finance team and the HR team. And for a time, I was leading the data and IT teams as well. But we recently got a CTO maybe two months ago where it made more sense for him to lead it. But in the interim, it was me. The experience, I think, is is amazing. You get to do things that you probably didn't think you would be doing in a pure finance role. And so it's one of the things that I encourage folks that work at smaller companies to take advantage of because... It's really hard. Once you get really big, you kind of start doing more depth in a certain role instead of the breadth that you get to wear hats that are sometimes completely off track of of a a typical uh, finance person. And then having led those teams in your experience at 1Password, how has that changed your approach to leadership as a CFO? Uh, Or actually did it actually just confirm the way that you were doing things anyway? No, you definitely have to think differently with different groups. I would say that on the finance side, and my team will tell you this, you know, it's very analytical. Like I actually expect a lot of analytics from any team that I, I lead. So I'm a numbers-based person. So I love to, the HR team, for example, we we talk a lot about headcount. What is the starting number, ending number? You know, how many people contribute in the middle of a, a month? And I think I do a lot more of that than a typical people leader might look at. But on the other flip side, I've learned a lot from how to write things to a large group of people, how to write communications, how I should communicate a bit differently when I'm talking to different groups of people because I can be quite blunt. And I think in finance, it's just, you know, you're like, that, 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 that. like these are the things you need to do. Um, and it certainly helped soften up the way that I talk to different groups of people. 
and that actually you you touch on a topic that's come up time and time again which is the need to as you grow from like your expertise in finance which is often heavily analytical can be very direct very logical to then developing into a leader not just a leader of the finance team but a leader an executive leader within your company is that there's often like a very big personal development journey for you to grow and develop as a leader and that your original expertise didn't prepare you for is that something that you found totally i think it's just hearing so many different people's perspectives and you know, being in the HR role in particular, you talk to a lot more people one-on-one than you would in a finance role, I think, on average. And you get to just hear the perspectives, like how did this pe- person take the launching of this program or the launching of this policy? And I think that you get a lot of back and forth and in it's you're right it's less logical and it's more you have to put in a lot more you have to have higher eq you have to use soft skills and it's a side of the brain that i don't think is exercised as much on the finance side though i have to say that on you know one of the things that i pride myself on with all of my teams is that they kind of act like a customer service department to the rest of the team so the finance team certainly the types of people that are on my team are definitely those that are personable that can create those relationships and bonds and trust it's just different because you spend a lot of one-on-one time with people on the HR side. So I had to exercise that side of my brain, which is different than when I was, you know, in public accounting, for example. Yeah, a completely different mindset in a way. Yeah. And so then with your direct team within finance, what are the types of things that you do to try and engender that type of customer service orientated mindset? We meet regularly and we talk about how it's kind of one of our goals. So we actually set it as a goal in the year. Like, hey, we want to make sure that people feel like we're here to partner with them and not to just kind of lay down like these rules that you must follow. Because I find that you really don't get buy-in from the team unless you're you know, getting them on board and kind of helping them out and they'll help you out. And, and that's been really successful, a really successful model for me in the past. And so we actually measure it. So in our engagement survey, we will ask, you know, how satisfied are you with the services that finance or HR or IT has been given you? And we will actually measure that in a survey to see how people actually perceive the team to be helpful. Because at the end of the day, I really think that we should be partners to the organization. HR has done a really great job. They've already kind of set the pathway for being business partners. They have titles in the industry to reflect that. I think on the finance side, it's a little premature. And so with the finance team, you know, at some point, I'd love to just be able to call my people finance business partners and have one per business unit and, and just be perceived in that same way. And this is another another theme that you've touched on is that idea of being able to partner with your with your uh, counterparts, and uh, I, we've heard from different CFOs, and actually they would say that that's maybe something that stood out in their career is that actually as one of the most important things they would pass on is that they tried to partner even before it was cool or recognised within finance. So, but then one of the challenges to that is that you often don't have enough people, don't have enough time, and there are so many different things, many of them urgent and critical that you're having to work on within finance. So how do you balance that trade-off where you need time to build the relationship and understand your partner's business, uh, but actually you've got a lot of other things on your plate and a lot of them operational that are critical? I think you have to prioritize it. I'm very fortunate to work at a company where we have the resources to be able to staff our people the way we'd like to. And if the company buys in that this is, in fact, a priority, then they should be making the resources available. Now, not everybody works um, at a company that can be as liberal with the budget around that. And so, you know, outside of prioritizing it, it's everything that uh, my team does really 
the purpose is to help the business. And so they're talking to people every single day about it. I just don't see how it can be avoided this day and age. And so outside of prioritizing it is just, you know, giving people the space to be able to do it. And so managing their workloads, I think letting them know that, you know, this is definitely something that you need to be doing. And kind of back to your point about other leaders saying it's one of the most important things. I totally agree. I think a successful finance professional is one that can partner with the business and can take a complex situation and really lay it out in layman terms. I think that's one of the most important skill sets of any person, first of all, but in finance especially. So when you're talking about budgets, a lot of people's brains shut off. They don't understand why the thing you paid for is being you know, amortized over a year and, and, and it can get confusing. But the best finance leaders and professionals, I think, can sit there and like really explain it in layman terms. And that builds like really close relationships. And they have to do that anyway, because it's part of their job. It's part of the many things they're supposed to be doing is figuring out, like letting the business know how they're doing financially and it reminds me of the quote where if you can't if you can't explain something simply then you don't understand it well enough yeah i totally I, you know i really live by that i try really really hard to make things simple for people and i think those that are able to have that skill are always really successful we often i mean and i'm sure you have the debates in your team as well but we have often have the debate of when you go and try and explain something simply which i have a bias towards as well that you naturally need to abstract away from the complexity and you lose some of the nuance and you sometimes you lose some of the meaning so we're always having this debate in the team and uh, our ceo and founder he's a uh, he's an incredibly intelligent man but i think he often assumes everyone else can handle the same level of complexity that he can so we often have these debates between too complex too simple is that something that you and the team or even you personally actually um struggle with at times one of the CEOs I used to work with once said to me, the thing that makes you really easy to work with is because you can go into the details and you thrive in details, but you can pull yourself out and then explain it from high level. And so I've tried really hard to exercise that skill as much as I can. And so I talk to lots of different people and try to explain lots of different things. If somebody wants something explained, I make the time to do so because I think it really helps me out because it makes it makes me look good because I can I'm I have that skill, but it also helps the other person and they're so thankful. Later on when I ask that person for something, they're going to do it for me. And I just found that that really works. But I think that where I found it to be super useful on the receiving end is when I'm talking to somebody on let's say the development team or the product team and they're talking about a really technical concept which I am not like a technical person in, in, you know, that much depth. And when I see somebody being able to do that so that I can understand, I'm so grateful and I find it to be like a really special skill. And uh, so anyway, I try to, I try to reciprocate that and do the same for others that might not understand. And and that touches on the idea of having to communicate at different levels to different audiences. And, and you have to do that all the time because one minute you might be speaking to an investor, the next it might be, you know, some new hires, uh, graduate hires into the company. So what tips would you have or, or what to, um, approach have you developed over time to figure out the right way to pitch a message depending on your audience? Yeah, I think one of the things that could be really helpful is just asking the person, like, so how much do you know about this? Or if I feel like the person may not have as much detail, I might say, hey, I'm really going to simplify this a lot. But if it's too simple, let me know. And like start at the simplest level and then you can move up. With investors, they're obviously very, very sophisticated. And so there's a certain level that we we operate at with them. But with anyone internally from cross departments, I think it's really great to be like, you tell me what you know about it so far and then I can help help expand. And I found that to be pretty effective. And then you can just yeah, you can just get a sense of their level from the very beginning and then and know whether you should be pitching high or low. You know, nine times out of ten they already 
get it 80% of the way. Yeah. And so I, I found that to be pretty, and it's, and it's efficient too. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. It saves your time. <laughs> but then presumably you, and, and you mentioned that, like you're hiring for that in your team, or at least you appreciate it when the people have that quality. And this touches on another thing, which I'm sure you've done a huge amount and I'd love to learn more about, which is the building your team and, and finding and retaining the best talent you can. How do you test for that type of skill? say in an interview when you're assessing candidates because the technical stuff I'm sure you've got a very rigorous way of testing but that is is a far more nuanced skill to have. Yeah it's not the easiest thing to test I would say but one of the things that I always joke about is listen I like to hire people that I could have lunch with and have a conversation with just back and forth and just just have a it doesn't have to be about finance but it can be about anything and just be able to converse back and forth i think it's telling already you can tell how somebody articulates what they had for lunch what they're doing but even if you talk to them about some of the things that they've done in the past there are people that are very long-winded go into a ton of detail and then there's people that are like really concise i tend to lean on the crisp and concise when i'm looking at a role that needs to be talking to the business because it's you give enough detail for them to understand, but it's not long-winded. The more long-winded, like it can get confusing for someone that's not in finance to understand a financial concept. So that's kind of how I like to meet people, but not everybody has to have that skill. There are certain people on the team that don't need to talk to others and they're very technical in their role. And, and that might be a different skill set. So it's not a broad statement that everyone has to you know, speak a certain way. But I'm, when I'm looking for a business partner type of person, it's somebody that you can have a conversation with. It flows nicely and it's they get their point across in a crisp way. And but then I guess going back to your point about your eventually your team, I one day being called the finance business partners, actually it's you it would be valuable for most, if not all, of the people working in your team or in finance to try and hone that skill over time. I think it is, but you know, I'm trying to think of somebody that might not for example, if I had a a person that was a technical accounting guru that was gonna basically look at all of the accounting standards and then pass that on to the team within the team, it would probably be a different skill set than someone who needed to go externally all the time. But I think it is a good practice to find people that can have those conversations with anyone, whether it's in your own team or whether it's across the company. And on that topic of hiring and building, so you mentioned that you you joined 1Password when they were around about 120, I think you said, is that right? 180, yeah. 180, apologies. And now, and now obviously it's, it's almost tripled in size. And so with that, you've had to grow the team and, and the foundation that finance provides. But that's against the backdrop of, you know, what's been called the, the great resignation and this this new level of, of expectations amongst, amongst employees, which is incredible in many ways. But it, it's many companies and, and CFOs included are finding it incredibly hard to get and find and recruit the top talent. And then, of course, the challenge, of course, of re- engaging and retaining them comes in as well. Is that something, is that a challenge that you've felt leading finance at 1Password? I joined 1Password in early 2020, right before the pandemic, actually. I think two months right before the pandemic was officially uh, started. So so 1Password is a remote-first company. They've been distributed in remote since their inception. And I've always been in a typical office environment. And so that, well, that was a big change to begin with. But the biggest thing around recruiting for me was I didn't actually meet my team. Uh, I've only recently met a bunch of them for a dinner. Prior to that, even though we live in the same city, I've never met them in person. And that was kind of a strange thing, a tra- strange experience for me because I've never done that before. 
like I'd mentioned, I like to meet somebody. I like to see, like, can I have lunch with this person? Can we have a, a conversation? It's a lot different when you're doing it on, on Zoom. And so that was one of the challenges that me personally, not working in a remote environment, I had to adapt to. And, and that was great. I brought, um, I had a lot of referrals from people that I had worked with in the past, like from many years ago. And I, you know, keeping in touch with them, like I network with those folks over the years. And I had a lot of people come over with me at the beginning. So my initial group of people were actually easier to recruit because I had known them from before. I had worked with them in some capacity before. And so that was a bit easier. And my team is, I, I'm very fortunate. I have a very loyal team. They work really, really hard. And, you know, when I was looking for, when I was looking for these individuals, I was really looking for people that were really resilient, nimble, flexible, because yes, they were financial experts, but because we were like a smaller company at the time, I needed people to be able to wear many hats. And so, you know, I had one person come in and though she's a finance person, she helped do a lot of our benefits rollout because it had a finance component to it where we were actually doing benefits for the first time in the history of 1Password. And so, you know, we, we had to do that. And when it comes to retaining people, like on the benefit side, we really looked with our brokers to find, you know, a best in class package for all of our employees. When they gave us three options, we picked the most rich. So we're, we're trying to be really competitive with those types of benefits and perks, as well as things like, in the past, the company, being as small as it was, didn't have official, you know, career laddering, like a document that showed, like, here's where you can go over the next number of years. And that's something that the HR team put into place. And it's no different for finance. Finance has a career ladder. So everybody knows that they can move up. And we've given out promotions for all of the, the hard work and for people moving up, as well as recognition. I, I think we're, we're trying to be very generous with things like the wellness days, because we know that it can be overwhelming right now. Um, definitely an employee first type of culture here at 1Password, which is really helpful as a finance leader because oftentimes the finance teams get slammed with, you know, a lot of overtime, which is, you know, honestly, no different for the team here, but we're trying to make it up. We're trying to find ways where when there is a wellness date, they can actually take it, you know, and not watch the rest of the company take it. So adjusting deadlines for the team is something we're doing to make sure that they can get the rest that they need as well. It's a very fine balance, isn't it? Because I'm sure it's a very fast-paced environment at 1Password, but you, you want to keep people and keep them engaged, especially remote first, because you can't proverbially put an arm around them in the same way. It's sometimes harder to connect. So it's a very, very delicate balance to strike. Going back to the whole connection thing, I would say one of the things that I miss about being in an office that I haven't personally nailed yet is those kind of two-minute conversations in the hallway when you pass by and you just hear something. You don't hear any of the, like the chatter, so you might not get little pieces of context that I used to be able to get and make the connections with. We're still trying to figure that out a little bit and trying to over-communicate. But I, I would say that's one of the things on a finance team, because I remember in an office environment, you know, pop your head up over your desk and be like, oh, did you say that this customer, blah, blah, blah? And we don't have that anymore. So I, I feel like that's a problem that we're still trying to solve, I think, probably worldwide <laughs> right now. Well, I guess you were exposed to it before, and certainly the rest of the team was at One Password was exposed to it before everyone else was forced to embrace the remote or even hybrid working. And I think that what I, what you can see across different companies now is that they're they're trying to get the balance right between some in person engagement, but like very very high quality. You know, where there's a big focus on connection and relationships, or really high quality content rather than loose meetings. Is that something that you've played with at all, or had the opportunity to play with at all, which is trying to connect in person when you can? 
totally. I mean, we are obviously watching the situation in the different countries. I mean, I have people in in U.S. and Canada, and so we can't all be together just yet. But this, as soon as everything kind of we feel safe to travel and 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 everyone feels safe, we'll be getting together for sure. We had a local Toronto, like a Toronto meetup for dinner about a month or so ago, and it was so much fun. I mean, everyone just meeting people for the first time, seeing how tall people were for the first time, um, it was just a, a really great experience. What we're doing in the meantime is we do actually have monthly, we have a monthly all hands where I kind of go through, these are the things that are happening across the company that you may not know about. Here's some recognition for our teams. And then the last hour is a happy hour. And we'll do things, we've done things like a cheese and chocolate tasting where we were able to find a vendor that could send cheese and chocolate to both US and Canada. And that was awesome and people loved it. We play games, we get, um, we do escape rooms. We really try to engage with each other at least once a month on, on, a, on a full team basis. And then... Um, you know, we've kind of put into place like a communication cascade where across the company and the managers are meeting once a month, at least team meetings we're requesting to have once a week just to keep the communication going. So that's how we're trying to find ways to connect. But from an in-person perspective, yeah, we will, I mean, we're remote, but we're definitely a company that had encouraged teams getting together from time to time. And one of the things that our company did, we usually do a company-wide cruise. We're kind of known for that. So the entire company would go. This was the first year we couldn't do it. So instead we did a kickoff virtually and we created a virtual cruise and environment, uh, sent everybody a whole bunch of swag. We had photo booths, which, and we really tried to make it look like we were on a cruise ship together. So people didn't feel like they missed out. And, and it was actually a really big success. Our vendors were awesome. The cruise virtual cruise ship was awesome. We had some celebrity cameos show up. Uh, it was it was really great. And, and everyone really loved it. So I've never heard of a virtual cruise before. That's a great idea. It, it was so good. <laughs> Where would you have gone in the real world cruises? Like what type of cruises would you go on? Was it just in, in the Bay Area or is it actually much further than that? Oh, no, no. We would actually go. Last year, I was I was fortunate enough to be on one cruise before um, it hit and we went to the Bahamas. So we, it, and it's usually the Caribbean or something around there. So it was a legit cruise. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I bet you can't, you're counting down the days until COVID eases and then you can actually get out on one of those cruises again because I bet you that's a lot of fun. I, you know, we certainly uh, are open to the idea of doing it. You know, the number of people today, Ross, is so different from the last time that we organized one of those. And so logistics is becoming a lot more complicated. And it's something that, uh, you know, as a finance, like as a finance leader, I was the one to actually organize everything, which which is awesome, by the way. I, I don't think I would be able to have the, the honor of being able to organize an event at another large company because you'd have an events team. But I love that kind of stuff. And so anyways, I, logistics is going to be um, an interesting thing because once we get out of the pandemic, we're probably going to be 600, 700 people. So never done anything on that scale here yet. Well, some of the big cruise ships might be able to get that amount of people on one go, but <laughs> I think those are the, like the transatlantic cruise ships that you, <laughs> might have, you, you, you might have to hire. It's not out of the question. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that can all be baked into the budget for next year. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll say Ross's request. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, budget request from Ross. But the, on the on that topic, perhaps one of the last ones to touch on about how to manage a, a remote team or, or like tips to do that. Again, in finance, you're working on like these typically high pressured, tight deadline type things. And if it's not fundraising, then of course, the, the big one every year is the budgeting process, which you're probably doing right now. That is 
very collaborative, very intense. It's often financial, the, the last people in the office, most most nights is certainly approaching the, the board meeting. How did you manage that, um, your team and, and that finance-led process, again, given the distributed and remote nature of your team? Yeah, so it's kind of unique at One Password because last year, just because of the size they were added, because you know I was really the first finance leader ever at One Password. We had never had a budget till last year, and so last year was our first budgeting practice run, and I thought it went really, really well. Our leaders are pretty good about caring about the budget. I think that's like number one. Oftentimes these meetings are just brutal for people. They don't want to they don't want to participate, but our leaders genuinely want to know how they're doing. They're genuinely learning what the what the budget cycle is like because some of them have never done it before. And it was a really great experience. The company always ran distributed. It is so normal to be able to do these things remotely. Um, we use tools like Zoom, obviously, like like most companies. And we also use collaborative. We have like collaboration tools. Like I, th- I found Google Suite. It's the first time I'm using a Google Suite of products, by the way. I don't know how I lived without it before because of the way you can collaborate in it. And that tool is really great. We've recently started using Monday.com to start laying out the series of events that need to happen to plan. And I think just planning it from beginning to end is the most important. We have calendar invites in people's calendars already to talk about the budget. We basically announced here are the key deadlines that you need to know of. And so just over communicating that kind of stuff. One of the things that I think the team really likes is that my team creates templates. There's like a budget template and all the leaders have to do is like insert the new stuff in there and it kind of like spits it out at the end. And that's been really helpful because they can see what they've done last year. They can put in their new requests and then we start building it up from there. So it's been quite effective, you know, remotely the thing is we don't know how to do it any other way here so it's been like less uh, it's been less painful for the for the conversion i guess the, the biggest transition was probably for you because you had done it in person rather than remote so everyone else it was just normal it's an interesting dynamic because here i've never had as many meetings as i have in other places because again it's sometimes it's I, I would just walk over and say oh hey you know this line and blah 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 and it would take three seconds but here i have to pre-book most of my meetings it's really hard to just grab people ad hoc and so my life has changed because i have a lot more meetings but the meetings are replacing those in person those quick conversations and so i get to speak to a lot of people and my team gets to speak to a lot of people i think that's the biggest change for us is like it's heavy meetings because because we need face-to-face and I think it should be face-to-face when when you're talking about budgets. Yeah and and that's the tricky part isn't it because you the meetings whilst you've got more of those it doesn't replace the work that needs to be done outside of the meetings so it's balancing that up. For me you know my secret is when I need heads down focus time I actually block off the time. I'm somebody who really likes to have a lot of control over my calendar and so when I know there's a day of heavy heads down work I will block off an hour or two to make sure I can actually do it during that time and I find that to be really really helpful like if you don't do that it'll just get booked up anyways and then one of the things that I do is like I actually keep this I have a weekly calendar I still find great satisfaction in crossing stuff off but by having this weekly calendar on Monday I could be like you got to do this on Monday and Tuesday you got to do this like actual deliverables and then I'll just cross them off as I go and I do this every Monday like I start the day I start the week by by writing out my to-dos for that that week and sometimes it's carryover from previous week but at least I have that history and that's how I kind of manage manage my time very disciplined and organized which again no surprise because I think you need to be yeah I think if it wasn't for crossing it off I probably wouldn't do it uh I know I know everyone thinks it's a little bit old school because you know people are using one note or or what have you but it just just not doesn't feel the same doesn't feel like I did it unless I cross it off 
Yeah, I, I, I use a mix of the two and I, and I think that there is something that's very sad. I also think there might be something that tie, that embeds it into your mind, your brain a little bit more by writing it out. Whereas typing, you're doing it so often that it's. I don't think it's in, engaging your mind in the same way. I, I totally agree. So if I need to actually practice for a I don't know, a presentation. I like to like write my words out or even like, you know, type it out because it really helps me keep it ingrained in my head. Yeah, I can imagine. And you've touched on, you mentioned G Suite uh, being like one of the tools that has really helped you collaborate. Uh, I'm sure it's not killed off Excel. I'm sure Excel exists somewhere because I'd be amazed if that was if that was the case for any finance team. But one of the 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 trends that we love to explore on the podcast is the increasing use of technology and automation for within finance and and, and for finance teams. And part of the background to it is that in many cases, finance is like the most underserved uh, of the automation, like sales and marketing had it, you know, a decade or longer ago, and it's now become just like the, the norm. Whereas in finance, there is a whole raft of new tools and then the rise of fintech is making, is creating lots of exciting opportunities. And you've alluded to some of those and finance leaders are using more and more of them because it allows their team to be freed up to do more of the partnering that you emphasised and mentioned earlier on. Given that you'd also run IT previously, is that something? Is that an approach that you're trying to embed in the way that you're setting up the infrastructure and finance within one password, that commitment to technology and automation? Yeah, you know, my team came in, we came into an environment where there was very low tech on the finance side, let's put it that way. So we actually implemented a new ERP. We've implemented things like um, certify for expenses. We use monday.com to run our meetings and to run our planning process. All of those tools have have helped us get this far. Again, G Suite, collaboration. Collaboration sometimes is hard in finance type documents, especially in Excels. There's two cool things that I've used here that I've never used anywhere else. And one of them is something called AWS Workspaces. And so because we don't have like an office, you know, we're using a cloud environment to basically host our shared drive. And so, you know, finance and legal, we have permanent files that you can't, you don't really want to manage in G Suite because the nesting of folders is kind of not awesome and people can make changes and, and things like that. So we've used AWS Workspaces, which has been, you know, um, a saving grace for us. So that's where we do all of our heavy modeling and our Excels are all, all in there. And we can apply access controls and, you know, subfolders have certain access and things like that. So it's been great for us. And the second tool that we've used here that I haven't used before because we didn't need to was Looker, which is a BI tool, which basically pulls a whole bunch of data from our data lake. And we're a company that has large volumes of transactions. And that's a tool that we lived without before, but I couldn't live without today now that we have it. It's it's so great for operational metrics and being able to pull out things that feed into our financial model. And I would say those have been lifesavers for us. But in general, my theory around automation is get as much automation as you can, because with the trends like the great resignation, people want to find meaningful work. And you know, auto, what automation generally does is takes out kind of that repetitive, menial, you know, I'm going to say, quote, menial work that people feel like they're doing on a daily basis that don't give themselves or the company value. So, you know, anything super manual tends to fall into that category. And when people don't feel like they're finding meaning, <laughs> meaningful work at work, they're going to be looking for something else to do because it doesn't mean anything to them. And so I think that automation is really key for obviously being efficient and closing your books and all of that good stuff that finance people do, but also to make sure that your finance people on the team are, have, are doing work that they feel is impactful to the company. And so I think that's like a bigger reason why, why automation is, is actually really important for finance teams. 
And with that in mind, the the introduction of automation, it almost requires, well, one, a significant investment of time just up front, just to consider, to think about what you might want to introduce and, and then roll it out. And then the second is that perhaps requires within your team a technical aptitude that may not have existed before and was certainly wasn't common within finance five, ten years ago. So do you need to adjust the way that you build your team to build in that, that aptitude, that competence? Well, I would say that the technical abilities of a finance person are have changed over the years, actually, Ross, with like all the technology that's being used. I have a, an analyst on my team that can code things on the side. Like that's, that's a side hustle. So incredibly technical people coming, especially all the young kids coming out, they know how to use technology better than anyone has before. And so I found that that gap is not as big as it used to be. But you're right. You know, as we speak today, I'm, I'm sourcing for a finance systems manager because I want to be able to optimize the use of our ERP and the integrations that we have with all the different systems we have. And so we are actively looking for that person because I think we're at that spot where we want to, we have all the tools, but we don't want to optimize them to make sure people aren't still doing duct tape on things that uh, could be automated. And that's, uh, it's fascinating that you have such a huge technical element to what you're doing now increasingly yeah um in, in a way that I, have, I haven't seen before yeah you know sometimes i wake up and think oh my gosh i'm falling behind uh, i need to learn how to do excel <laughs> like all of these people can use excel um my team in particular are very tech savvy they understand technology quite well so i'm very fortunate to have that skill set here but you know it's not their full-time job and i want to make sure that we have somebody here that where it is their full-time job. And this person's obviously an SME and in the ERP and in other finance systems. And so we are looking to go implement a couple new tools. So things around commissions, things around FP&A actually, which we haven't done yet. And that's on our roadmap for the next for the next year. And and so at this point in time, we think it's worth the investment. And I don't want my controller figuring out uh, why NetSuite's not doing something. I want them to be looking at, you know, the actual the actual financials. And so we're making that investment. And I think it's really important for us. And that is a message that we've heard from so many CFOs and, and finance leaders. And perhaps actually just as we as we come to a close, I'd love to ask you what I ask many guests, which is that for anyone who's listening, who's, say, an aspiring CFO, uh, would love to get into uh, your position and, and lead finance in a fast growing company one day. What advice would you would you give to them so that they could be successful in the role? I think so when I think about what what helped me get to where I am today was when I worked at the companies and, and I saw an opportunity to do something that was outside of my role, I tried to do it. And I, I really tried to get a well-rounded, well-rounded experience in different fi- fac- facets of finance. So, what you know, not just in controllership, not just in FP&A, not just in treasury, just a little bit of tax here and there, like really trying to understand. I know that a lot of finance leaders might block their ears off to things like transfer pricing, for example. Once you're exposed to it, it's actually super easy. It's a super easy concept to understand. And so you don't have to be an expert in all of it, but if you could get exposure to as much as possible, it really helps you later on because then you have the ability to be, you know, you know enough to be dangerous. So you could pick out the risks and you could pick out where things look off. You might know why it's off, but you can at least say something's off here and I need you to look at it. And, and I think that really comes from doing as much different things as you can. So, you know, if you're in the controllership function and you're interested in moving into CFO, I would say, See if you can do a little bit of forecasting. Maybe it'll start off as some cat you know, cash forecasting. Maybe they can give you a small little section and just ask. It might be a little bit more work, you know, at the time because they're probably not going to say, oh, but you can let go of this. I just think it just pays off later on because then you understand 
a lot more with with breadth what everyone else is supposed to be doing on your team once you're running the entire function. Uh, I think that's very sage advice for anyone that's listening. Um, Jeannie, thank you for joining us today. Uh, you've It's been brilliant to hear the way that you approach things and, and some of the war stories of, of building uh, in, in a remote team through the midst of a pandemic. Uh, and I hope that one day you're able to get on that uh, 700 person cruise. Yeah, uh, maybe you can come, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I, inv- invite accepted invite accepted already. thank you Ross it's been a, a pleasure speaking with you today thanks Jeannie one last thing if you have a question you'd love to ask a guest visit cfoplaybook.fm and submit your question there this show is brought to you by Soldo the brighter way to manage business spending and expenses with Soldo you can control every expense track spend in real time, automate financial reporting, and then use those insights to fuel growth. Learn more at soldo.com.